Bonjour and welcome to French Football Weekly, the podcast. My name is Chris. I am your host, uh, as usual, just about this week. Just about. More on that in a second. But before we go there, let's introduce my uh, introduce my guest for this evening. And we're back to a happy foursome. Terrible terminology there, but never mind. First of all, good evening to you, Phil. How are you? Hello, I am very well. Good, good to hear. Nice and sharp, like it. Jez, how the devil are you? Uh, I'm very well, thanks. Good, good. This is good. Uh, for the hat trick, Rich, are you well? I am back, fighting fit, 100%. This is good news. This is good news. So everybody is fit, apart from the host. Um, so yes, I, I've just about managed to wheel myself here, uh, despite having what can only be described as the most painful back injury I've ever experienced in my entire life yesterday. So luckily, I've managed to wheel myself in and we're ready to talk some French football. So let's rock and roll. We are going to start, of course, with the Liga chatter from the week. And um, I think we'll we'll start with the uh, the big game of the weekend, or what we thought would be the big game of the weekend, which turned out to be a rather large thumping for one Bordeaux side. Uh, they were, of course, beaten by PSG by six goals to two. Uh, Phil, let's uh, start with you. Um, some people thought this would be close. Others thought it would be a tonking. It turned out to be the latter. But uh, one thing we have to say is all the goals were very, very good in this game. What did you, uh, what did you make of PSG's performance? Yeah, well, I, um, I kind of thought it was going to be enjoyable chaos and hoping that was the case. And then, then there we were. Uh, yes, it was one of those where you're kind of picking several of those for kind of goal of the month, a bit like that um, Lyon Bordeaux game a bit ago. Bordeaux do appear to be involved in quite a lot of those conversations. So, yes, it was... Complete chaos, really. Uh, very good fun. But if you're 5-1 five, uh, five up at, at the break, I think that's the first time PSG have ever scored five goals in their first half, which is kind of not unexpected, perhaps. But uh, yes, it was It was a dominant performance with Bordeaux obviously have some attacking vim, but just failed to cope with anything, really, that was coming towards them. And there was quite a lot coming towards them. I think... Picking your favourite goal out of this one's going to be tough, but maybe uh, maybe Draxler's effort, I think, was uh, would, would would get it for me. And it's kind of is he got a start? Um, is that going to mean he gets more starts or not? Is is kind of the next the next question that rolls on from that. Yeah, that's a very good segue to what I was going to go on to ask you, Jez, about that. You sort of said pre-pod as well about the Draxler goal being the the highlight. All the all the sort of centre of attention is around Cavani and Neymar and Mbappe, but Draxler is uh, quietly making a case for himself here, isn't he? Is it just a case that he's going to fill the space while Di Maria's away, or is he actually making a case that he should be the man in that shirt now? Um, I think in terms of starting 11 I'm not sure either of them necessarily um come close um and in terms of he had a great game but actually he's been given probably more chances than most other players this season and generally I think he's been pretty unimpressive so um I don't know I'm a little bit sort of one swallow doesn't make a summer about him for the moment um and I'm actually just as impressed with although it wasn't a goal, Los Celso's little chip for, for Neymar to probably should have, he should have got his hat trick there. But um, I just, I think, I don't feel sorry for him because I think he's very weak, but I think Emery, who's obviously very sport for choice, 
Um, I think he's showing quite a lot of... Uh, he's weak, but I think that possibly... I still think that his selections are not entirely down to him, that there's a little bit of politics involved. Um, in this case, for whatever reason, Motta didn't play. I don't know if he was rested, he was slightly injured, whatever it was. And I think it gave them a lot more freedom to, to play around. Even if Motta's not playing, Rabiot had to play the more kind of sentinel role. He's very unhappy about that and has said several times that he doesn't, although he's capable of doing it, he doesn't want to do it. So I still think there's so many kind of competing issues there that I'm not convinced that Draxler's making a, a case for himself. I don't think it's his fault. I think um, all things being equal, well, they're not equal, but basically the front six, I think, is always going to be Motta, Verratti, Rabiot in midfield, um, and Mbappe, Neymar, Cavani ahead. And however much Draxler, Di Maria, La Celso do, when it comes to the crunch and the really big matches, I just I think it's going to be those six every time. I think I, uh, I think I agree with that. And um, Rich, obviously, look at the goal scorers on this game. Uh, a couple of goals for Neymar. Uh, one was a penalty. Uh, yes, y- listeners, you can um, you can have your own thoughts on that. Um, the goal from Cavani, I particularly enjoyed as well. That was a very nicely nicely planned move before sweeping in. Uh, we mentioned the Drax, the goal. So one for Mounier, Sankare scoring in his return to Paris, and Malcolm with a late penalty question I have for you is um, uh, try and withhold your Thiago Silva-isms here, but we've talked about the defence before. They, they've still conceded two goals in this game. Um, arguably could have shipped a couple more if if it wasn't for the uh, attacking prowess going the other way. Is that going to be something that you think they might address in uh, in January if they are still fighting on, on all fronts? It looks like they're going to get through the Champions League group, which we'll touch on briefly in a second. Is that going to be the area that they now start to rebuild with superstars? I think they have to, really. Um, you know, it was an area that they should have, should have focused on in the summer. They didn't. Um, they brought in a couple of fullbacks. You know, Danny Alves, yeah, he'll be great for a, a handful of games. Games, but he's not really a long-term purchase. But Shisha seems to be a bit of a temporary, temporary fix to, for for a Kazawa backup. Um, and then there's obviously the problem of only having three centre backs. Um, Ariola's had actually a, a, a you know fairly decent start to the season. Certainly, we haven't seen any of the the errors that we saw when he um, when he had the opportunity at the start of last season. But they're, they're going to have to. Um, you know that even you know I'm, I'm a firm believer that Marquinhos and Kimpembe are the are the best centre back pairing. Um, but even if they do play their obvious first choice, which will be Marquinhos and Thiago Silva, it's still not rock solid. Um, you know, there's still areas to exploit there, um, and you know, full black full backs are all four of the full backs they've got truly world class full backs to compete with the the world class players they've got. In attack, well, no, they're probably not actually. So, it's definitely an area they need to look at. Um, they probably need to look at a more, uh, you know, a, a, a sort of long-term replacement. I think for Thiago Motta, um, they need to potentially look at, you know, is Verratti going to be leaving anytime soon? There's obviously been numerous times where he's come close, or seemingly come close to leaving. So, there's areas to look at um, definitely, and, and games like this. 
you know, it's difficult to argue the case because, you know, if they're just going to score six goals every game, then why bother? But of course, we know that for PSG, it's the Champions League or, or bust mm. really this season. So unless they look at, at um, you know, improving there come January, you know, it may be that they, they still struggle to get over that, that quarterfinal hurdle. But I think what we saw in the Champions League game that preceded the Bordeaux game was actually where they did manage to do something in that area. I know Bayern perhaps are having a few issues at the moment and of course Ancelotti's now out. But when you look at like the possession in that game, the shots in that game, etc. I mean, they, they withstood quite a lot of danger there. I mean, Ariola was was very impressive against Bayern, I think. So um, it's something where that, in a sense, was was possibly was you know the the more marker game that they were looking for wasn't it than you know the anything in Liga obviously but um, they seem to be off to a off to a good start there with that that result. I think yeah. that that was the arguably the best sort of complete team performance that I've seen from PSG in mm-hmm. that you know even when they beat Barcelona four 0 last year they. Barcelona didn't do much, so there wasn't much in terms of defending. The the Bayern match, they're clinical going forward and very solid in defence. And um, you know, to give him his dues, I think Thiago Silva had his his best match for about four years. Um, and actually, I was surprised that Lecky Pony gave him a seven. It really is. I think that key really is stuck on their keyboard. <laughs> but um, uh, but. Bayern did have their chances, and Bordeaux really did. I mean, Kumano really should have made it three-two. Ariola had to come up with a with a great save. Um, so there's definitely still issues at the back, and um, as Rich said, again, just across the back four, and especially I think in a, in a defensive midfield role, especially if Motta's going to keep playing game in game out. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's only going to get more interesting for for Bayern fans as well. As uh, apparently Louis Van Gaal is set to come back, so I'm sure PSG will be licking their lips at the idea of facing uh, Bayern under his tenureship again in a few weeks if that happens. Um, we should also touch quickly, Phil, on Monaco. Um, just yeah. briefly for the Champions League, um, it all went a little bit wonky, didn't it? Courtesy of a a former uh, former Liga star as they yes. uh, hosted Porto, and it all yeah it went a bit all a bit wrong. Um, lost three 0 Talk me through that third goal. Um, I, I this is one of the many matches that recently I have not seen. But yes, a Vincent and Bubakar brace uh, to give Porto a three 0 win in Monaco wasn't the great look. I think we were. I think last week um, we were saying, you know, this looks like this is a doable match, and they just kind of folded. And that continued, obviously, on the Friday night game where. They drew with Montpellier, but also the kind of the the stats, the shooting, the the vim, the the effort was was very much on the the visitors' side. Weirdly, so Monaco do seem to be in a bit of a weird place at the moment. Um, whether you know, obviously the international break gives everyone a time a chance to kind of calm down and get their heads back uh, will be interesting to see. But I mean, that was we said you know the draw in the first game was an okay result, but this. You know, a home loss is is a is a bad result. They're putting themselves in a tricky situation there with um, just not showing up basically in uh, in uh, that Champions League game. I think. 
Well said. And if if you haven't seen the third goal, um, uh, you as well, Phil. Please look it up. It's mm-hmm. it's it's hilarious. It really is. Of a, a team that was so well drilled in Monaco last season, it it really is Keystone Cops. But yeah. I think what, one, saying, one one thing to note is that while Monaco was seeded first in that group, that was because of um, because they were champions. Porto are actually ranked higher. So mm. I think looking at that and thinking it was going to be easy as I think was maybe mentioned by somebody last week was maybe a you know a bit optimistic but I mean that was you know not a, a good result in the, in the greater scheme of things obviously no managed by Sergio Conceição of course now Porto who had such a good season with uh but not last season, so maybe he had a bit of intel. But yes, indeed, um, they were the, the sort of the two earlier games of the weekend. So as you say, Monaco Montpellier drawing and PSG thrashing Bordeaux. Um, just briefly, we should touch. Uh, Jez, do you just want to touch on? If anyone hasn't heard, on the Saturday evening games, there was one that didn't finish. Uh, Amiens hosted Lille, and um, after the opening goal uh, that was scored by Lille. Um, there was an incident and unfortunately that led to the game being suspended. Um, What's your sort of views and fill our listeners in on what happened there? Um, basically that the uh, Lille fans sort of, as um, I was going to say French fans, I guess all fans do, the, the crowd sort of um, pushed forward in celebration of the goal and um, a barrier gave way. Um, it looked very serious Um Luckily, no one was very seriously ill. I think they um, possibly five went to hospital. Yeah, but I think they've luckily all been released. So you know, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. Um, No one, you know, nothing certain has come out of it yet. Um, The Amiens president didn't cover himself in glory at all by coming out and saying it was all the Lille supporters' fault. Um, I think there's a there is a Lille supporter who I think is maybe a steward at Lille who apparently before the match brought it to the Amiens stewards' attention that the barrier wasn't entirely safe. There's um, there's a journalist who's got into trouble for tweeting something about how um, you kind of can't blame Amiens because they don't have much money compared to PSG, to which everyone said, well, they've got enough money to fix a barrier. And in any case, it's nothing to do with Amiens because like most grounds in France, it's owned by the, the city, not the club. Um, so there's, you know, there's the usual sort of, it's all your fault. No, it's all your fault. Um, that kind of thing. But at the moment, we don't know anything definite. We don't know if the match is going to re- be replayed or not. Lille must be a bit annoyed because after the pretty bad start to the season they've had, it was it was a decent start in a in a tricky looking away match, um, so you know they might not might not appreciate it if the if the match has has to be started again from from scratch, but um, obviously the the main thing is that everyone's okay and and hopefully, um yeah whether it's the city or the club whatever learn the lesson and and uh, make sure that stadium's safe going forward. Yeah, certainly. Um, obviously, all the cliches that go with it, but not something we want to see. And as you say, if it was actually highlighted that, uh, that it could have been a problem pre-game, that doesn't look good on those involved. But uh, obviously, we wish everybody involved well, and hopefully, we don't see that again when that game gets replayed. If indeed it does, we will let you know, of course, on this pod. On the uh, other games on the Saturday, quickly running through uh, golf for uh, Quan for Dijon uh, seemingly had got the home side the points but the late 
fall away. Jan Barry sent off as last man. Um, and then Terrier equalising for Strasbourg. Saw a share of the points in that game. Gangon and Toulouse also shared a 1-1 draw. Um, the son of Lillian Turam, 20-year-old. Uh, I forget his first name, actually. What is his first name? I have to look that one up Marcus. now. Marcus, thank you very much. Uh, he opened the scoring um, for the home side before Somalia equalised for Toulouse, which I believe is his first league and goal. Um, clipping it over goalkeeper from uh, sort of a bit of a mix-up at the back. Um, shut your ears now, Jez. Nolt winning over Mets by one goal to nil. Uh, another red card for Benoit Asuikotu in this one, although I think the second booking was a little bit harsh. Um, but who else? Salah with the uh, only goal of the game for Claudio Ranieri's men. And uh, also, Rich, shut your ears. Uh, no, you said no, <laughs> losing at home to Khan. Uh, ben Sibiani with the own goal. Very, very unlucky, this own goal, that has to be said. Uh, Santini sort of foraging his way into the box and then the ball ricocheting off both goalkeeper and defender and into the net. And uh, that was the end of that game. Um, on the Sunday games, we're going to have a look at two of these a bit closely. But uh, Trois, we should mention, who got a 2-1 victory over St Etienne, despite being down to 10 men, hasn't been sent off mm-hmm. after 33 minutes. Um, but they got the victory. Um, Hermani was also scored and sent off for St Etienne later on, but girls from Pelé and Kalui with the uh, the win for Trois. Very, and very good just point. mention, um, their break for their first goal was absolutely... Oh, um, it was just rapid as, as hell and Samasa was an absolute hero and goal for them as well there's a, a wonderful kind of dink lob chip golf wedge kind of attempt from Cabela and he he got that he got a couple of really good um really good saves and so Samasa was a, a definite hero for Toise they fought 10 v 11 for most of that match before Hanani also got sent off yeah Indeed, and, and really, really good performance from Trois. And to see them uh, as a ninth in Liga this season, complete contrast to what we saw from them last time they were in the division previously. But a uh, good result for them. Disappointing for Oscar Garcia's side. That brings us on to the other two games we're going to have a quick look at. Now, I know uh, Rich hasn't seen one of these games, so I'm going to leave the second one for him instead. So, uh, Jez, let's have a chat to you about uh, Angers and Lyon. Um, We'll come on to, uh, by all means, give us your views on the games. But this game in particular saw one of the most bizarre sendings off I've seen for many a, <clears> many a moon. Um, did you feel that the referee had one of those, uh, you can't do that to my cards, incidents? It was always like a big paddy from the referee to send him off. Um, if our listeners haven't seen it, do you want to talk us through what happened with the Marcelo sending off? Yeah, Mar- Marcelo got a yellow card, which I think was probably deserved. Mm-hmm. Um, and... As he turned away, he kind of did a bit of a, although he's not French, he did a sort of big French shrug and um, clearly accidentally um, knocked the yellow card out of the referee's hand. The referee, um, many referees really don't do themselves any favours, as you said, had a bit of a, do you know who I am, hissy fit, and showed him a red card in in retaliation in response. Um, it was ridiculous. <laughs> I think um, I saw Michael Cox uh, zonal marking on Twitter saying that was clearly card to hand rather than hand to card. <laughs> hand to card. And I think that pretty much sums it up. It was. It was a Gallic shrug that kind of intersected the arc of the brandishing of the card. And yeah, everybody's faces after that were an absolute picture. Some of the uh, some of the photos of that were 
amazing. Just so, yeah. pure shock, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I think the only thing, only one I can think of that even comes close was when Paul Gascoigne playing for Rangers, yeah. I seem to remember, uh, picked up a referee's card and booked the referee, who in turn turned around and booked him officially um which was equally stupid but um we should talk about the the game itself though um phil let's uh start with you on this one and i'll come back to jez as well leon were were one nil and three one up in this game mm-hmm. um and then contrived to to throw away goals uh, yet again the second three three uh, in the space of a week in in Nigar. We, we kind of keep coming back to the same thing, don't we? Um, look good going forward, but look a shambles at the back. And they could easily have lost this game as well, it has mm. to be said. So where where do they go from here? I say we are a bit broken record, but things have to change if they're going to progress yeah. up the table. I mean, I, I think what was kind of summed it up was at half time, you look at the kind of the round up, the stats and... Um, Angier had scored a goal despite not having a shot on target because the first goal they got was was a Raphael own goal. Um, we published a, an article by Tara Camille this week about um, Leon's defensive issues, uh, Genesio's Achilles heel, and it is a very kind of awkward situation where having not uh, been impressed with the guys they had last time, Several of them have been moved on or dropped. I mean, where is Mapu Yangambiwa right now? Nobody knows. Um, and it just, they did actually play Diakabi this time, um, which was something that I'd been wondering where's he got to. He actually got a goal. Um, but yes, one of the, um, one of the things that, that Tariq um, identified was that uh, through quotes was when they go ahead, everybody's like, okay, cool. And then just kind of stops concentrating, which is, you've got to think it's a fairly easy thing thing to fix. Keep concentrating. Um, so yes, it's another 3-3. This is their third 3-3 of the season. They've only played 10, 10 competitive matches. They've drawn three of them 3-3. It's like, I think it's supposed to be lucky in, in numerology, but Maybe not. Um, so yes, it's it's something that they have to do something about it, and it feels like it's something not that difficult to do about it, which is to try to stay focused and keep concentrating, and maybe to stop messing about with with the um, with the the personnel back there. But whether that will happen, um, it's uh, it's an interesting one because obviously they had a. Uh, a European game midweek as well, which was another draw, unfortunately. Um, uh, 1-1 at home to Atalanta. Atalanta, uh, you know, no mugs, but that also was not a a kind of a great situation. I think that also was one where they were ahead and then gave up an equaliser. So it's becoming a bit of uh, an endemic problem uh, that has to be really addressed. Hmm. Yeah, I watched that game with Atalanta on Thursday, and as you rightly say, they were in control at one 0 and and then uh, conspired to to chuck it away um, with a Papu Gomez free kick, which I uh, think Anthony Lopez might look back and think that I've done a bit more with. But yeah, he did a gr- uh, he he actually did a a good job, I think, uh, on uh, when Angers actually woke up a bit in the second half of uh, of the of the Ligue 1 game. Um, but you know, it is basically. If he wasn't there, just think how bad things would be is one yeah. of those uh, kind of awkward things to be thinking about. 
Agreed, agreed. And um, Jez, just to draw a line into this one, feel free to uh, to give Angers a bit of credit because I mean they they're they're just a epitome a epitome of a side that doesn't give up, that doesn't believe they're beaten at any point. Um, they've, they've done all right this season, haven't they? Especially since losing uh, their their main man to Birmingham. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's shaken Doy, of course. I speak of. I think it's one of those that they're they're in a rebuild, but under a coach who clearly is is sort of weaved into the fabric of the club, they are they're just full of spirit, aren't they? And they they just keep going. Um, they lost at home to Mess, so that I think that <laughs> <laughs> you, you had to go there, didn't you? you just no shots on target in the first half. I mean, I, I was after we talked them up in their kind of attacking vim uh, last week or the week before, and it seemed to stutter a bit this week and. Um, they were just lucky that they were facing a team that basically let them through. Um, oh, we're being maybe. mean. No, we're no, I, mean. I, I think... But because I was disappointed <laughs> with their attacking performance in that first half because I thought, given what they had on the pitch, um, Toko Akambi did get a goal in the second half, but him, Crivelli, they, they weren't pushing in the first half the way you kind of expected them to. Maybe they were paying Lyon too much, um, you know, too much respect and then in the second half worked out actually we're all right here lads and and it you know it ended up looking much more even they did put their foot down in the second half when they had that that man advantage particularly so you know I think it would but that it didn't start the way you would have hoped maybe for for Angers have you got anything positive to add then, Jez? Can you, can you yeah, no, I was, I was completely joking. I think Angers <laughs> have had a really good start to the season. Um, I think, yeah, Sorry. although they lost in Doi, I think they've, <laughs> they've, um, they've signed some, some... I think they possibly had one of the best transfer windows of any of the teams in Liga. I think Fulgini's a brilliant signing. Mm-hmm. I think Crivelli is a, is a canny signing when he stays on the pitch. Um and yeah, I think they're always tough to beat. Um, yeah, a lot of it you can't put everything down to that, but it helped that they played almost the whole half with with a one man advantage, which, as we've discussed, is, was a uh, pretty tough on Lyon. But um, uh, you know, good for them. They showed a lot of, of character to come back, and Letelier, who, who possibly when he when he started started off, I don't know if it was last year or the year before now. Um, had a couple of tough moments, but I thought he had a you know he he kept them in the game at one point. It could easily have been four one, I think, going in at half time. I'm not sure they'd have come back then. Um, yeah, good good for them, and I don't think they're gonna. Um, I think they're gonna be very safe. I'm not sure that they'll you know be challenging for Europe or anything, but I certainly don't think they'll be they'll be worrying about relegation at any point either. I've just, been, I've just been looking at their, their results this season and, well, first of all, I'd, I'd completely missed that they'd drawn so many games, mm-hmm. um, you know, six of them, but, you know, draws at home to Bordeaux, away at Marseille, away at Saint-Étienne, away at Nice, home to Lyon, you know, I don't want to sound patronising, they are really solid results for a team like Angers, so mm. I remember they had a good start, I think, last season as well, and sort of crumbled away quite dramatically. Um, so hopefully they've learnt from that. But um, yeah, another really solid start from them. 
I agree with that. I agree with that. As you say, those four clubs you name are certainly uh, not to be sniffed at when you're a mid-table side to, to take points off of them. Um, but seeing as, you're, seeing as you speak of Marseille and Nice briefly there, Rich, um, that's where we're going to go next for our, our final discussion point of the weekend's Liga games. Um, this game was really good and really bad all in one 90 minutes. Um, we, we saw so much go on in this. It ended 4-2 to Marseille uh, away at Nice. Um, nice were, in fact, two up at one point. Um, and then Marseille, in a period of, uh, I think if you take out half time, it's six minutes, he scored three goals to turn the game completely on its head. We saw a missed penalty, a red card, a series of bookings, bottles being thrown at, at uh, Marseille players, which obviously we don't want to see, but it has to be mentioned. Um, where on earth do we begin? Is, is our Marseille back to some sort of stability? Um, and what's happened to Nice? I mean, they would just look so comfortable and then it all just changed. Well, turn to your first point. I don't think Marseille are anywhere near any kind of stability, and it's <laughs> I probably going to take quite a long time before stability is something that can even be dreamed on. Um, you know, it was a really end, it, it was entertaining rubbish. Is probably how I would describe it. You know, as a neutral fan, you sat there thinking, "Well, this, this is great entertainment, but my God, it's awful at times." The defending was absolutely abysmal. I mean, we we. I've been accused of all sorts of, of anti-OM rhetoric over the last few weeks, but I expect awful defending from Marseille now. I'm not surprised at the levels they can plummet to when it comes to defending. Um, it's, it's Nice. You know, Nice, I, I thought, and, and you know, I, were, were seemingly um, you know, adequately performing defensive side, but just absolutely disintegrated. Dante had uh, a complete moment on that first goal. I mean, they were just all kind of standing around while Ocampus just charged through to uh, to get on the to sort of yeah, lash that I mean, first I'm, one in. Tw- Twenty minutes in, they were they were cruising. Nice were playing some really good football. Marseille were the Marseille that we've seen too many times over the last um, what, season or so, who just you know fell into themselves, just seemed to be basically disintegrating in, for, in front of your very eyes. But something happened. Dante mistake. Marseille pulled the goal back. And then, you know, by half-time, this is two-goal advantage has been turned to a 3-2 deficit. Um, one thing I would add, um, you know, Nice did fall apart. Marseille were incredibly lucky to have been, you know, with 11 men until Gustavo was finally sent <coughs> off. Um, I think it was just after the hour mark because he was 66 guilty of... 66 minutes. Yeah, he was guilty of seven or eight, you know, bad, bad challenges that, you know, two or three of them combined yellow card, a couple more red card before we'd even seen his, his straight red, which, to be honest, I could make an argument uh, it perhaps wasn't a straight red. Um, whether it was a referee think, thinking, well, actually, you know what, I've... Perhaps been a little bit too lenient with him, um, but you know, it, it was it was a, it was a really bad game, but also a really really entertaining game. Um, I don't think it's a sign of a major problem, particularly with two teams. I don't see I don't see it as a oh, Marseille are back on track with the Champions Project. I don't see it as a oh Nice are going to flounder mid table, but 
you know, it's, it's these kind of performances that will get those fickle fans of which, and I'm, I'm my own worst enemy with, with getting the anti-OM brigade on my back, but Marseille are some of the most fickle fans, um, uh, you know, I've, I've witnessed in Egan. They're very much a case of one win. Yep, we're going to be challenging PSG to one defeat. Yep, we're going to be relegated. So um, it's been it's been quite fun to see, but you can you can only you can only describe it. I repeat myself again. You can only describe this as entertaining rubbish. Mm. I, I like that um, description of Marseille fans as well. Um, being well, an Arsenal highlight fan, highlight it, Jesus. I, well, I, I was just going to say I, I can relate to that being an Arsenal fan. Um, it's exactly the same where we are, so yep. <laughs> I can completely agree with that one. Um, by the way, Luis Gustavo, I every time I see him, I, I just want to sing "Purple Rain." That moustache has got to go. Um, <laughs> it, it's not a good look, it's Luis. It, it really has to stop, and the mullet doesn't make it any better. Um, Jez, just to sort of segue, um, we're going to look ahead in a, in a minute to our uh, Grand Liba, which is um, sort of along the same lines as um, as the sort of poor or, or rubbish type of games. But you just had a, a sort of an individual viewpoint on the Ligue 1 weekend as a whole and, and this debate, because we always get this this talk of the French League being, oh, it's just a farmer's league and, and it's, you know, it doesn't have entertaining games. I mean, I would argue there are entertaining games this weekend proves it. But is the quality there? Because this game, in your opinion, sort of displays everything that was wrong with it. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just this game. I, uh, there's a couple of things that sort of, uh, as well as just everything that happened over the weekend, I got into a uh, debate with a couple of people yesterday because I sort of remarked the number of absolute thrashings that there's already been in the Premier League and questioned its com- competitivity and had a couple of debates with people about that. And then also... Um, there was a, a sort of French football correspondent who on Sunday night said, you know, PSG winning 6-2 this 4-2 match. Um, what a what a lovely, pleasant league out weekend it's been. And to me, now I'm sure I'll get over it, but I just came out of the, the weekend pretty depressed about Liga. I, I, with all the caveats that we always talk about, you know, so many teams rebuilding every year and, you know, in terms of competitiveness, what is it that you're, that you're looking for? Um, I made the point to someone yesterday when I was, when I was debating, um, you know, relative strengths of leagues, you know, Premier League with all the money in it, obviously generally it's a better standard, but it depends what you're looking for. If you're looking for a few stars interspersed with a hell of a lot of journeyman footballers, then the Premier League's for you. If you're looking to, to, um, find you know possibly the next big big stars then i think league and could be for you even even if some of the even if you have to watch a little bit of dirge sort of around that at the same time i just feel um you know there's the barrier collapsing at amia which points to a little bit of corporate or civic or whatever you want to talk call it incompetence there's some horrific refereeing i agree with rich i think the Luis gustavo um, sending off was maybe a bit harsh, although he did win the ball and then go high. But at the same time, he could have been sent off beforehand. Amavi, I thought, could have been sent off beforehand. Or Campos got away with a pretty nasty foul as well. I think that referee was awful. In the non-mess match, obviously I'm a tad biased, but um, yeah, Asa Koto for the second time in a month got a harsh sending off. Um, then mess last minute. Um, firstly, 
the penalty actually was also a little bit soft. But Roos scores the penalty. It has to be retaken because non-players were encroaching. He misses the follow-up penalty. Um, just as many players encroaching, but apparently in the referee's eyes, that one's fine. Um, we've talked about the Marcelo sending off. So referees, pretty poor. generally, I'm not as critical of league and referees as others, but I thought they had a terrible weekend. And then, you know, Marseille, Nice, as Rich said, you know, if we if Ligue 1 aspires to be like the Premier League, then actually that match was a sign that we're as close as we've ever been because it was exciting and it was awful. Um, and, you know, despite the Sky propaganda train, I think that that covers a hell of a lot of Premier League matches. I certainly would rather have watched that than, say, Watford Bournemouth or, or was it was it, sorry, Bournemouth Leicester this weekend, mm. for example. But the fact is that, you know, the, this Marseille team is terrible. The fact that Ocampos of all players is more or less carrying them says everything you need to know. The fact that he scored three or four goals, even though I think this weekend was the first time he's ever scored a couple of goals on purpose. Usually he's trying hard to miss. Um, says a lot about the opposition they've been facing. The fact that Nantes are in the top four. The fact that Trois, um relying on the kind of goal that they scored against Rennes this weekend not Trois, sorry, Caen, are in the top five. Uh, these things, I'm sure, over a season will even out. But even at this early stage, the fact that this Marseille team, this Nantes team, this Caen team are in the top five, I just think is a terrible indictment of Ligue 1 at the moment. And, you know, PSG, good for them, playing brilliantly. We always say, you know, with the money they've got, at least if they do it in style, they're certainly doing that. Um, but, you know, they, they must be must be laughing at some of the opposition that they're having to face um i will defend Liga in the sense that you know although it's one team probably going to run away with it whatever the level of a lot of the other teams at least it's i think it's kind of more even so you're going to see a hell of a lot more teams competing with each other as opposed to say last year in the premier league where it was top six then Everton miles behind them, and then the rest of them miles behind that. And it was basically three leagues in one. This myth that anyone can beat anyone on their day in the Premier League, I just think is untrue. Um, at least there's that. But just in terms of quality, I found it, yeah, a, a really depressing weekend. Fair, fair point. And, one, one, um, one just, just to, just to emphasise that maybe, one little thing that I've just seen that I found quite... It's a, it's a silly little thing, but I found it quite funny that 220 million euro, you know, one of the world's best players, Neymar, has scored one more goal than Clinton and G. But we all know the money is stupid and valuations are ridiculous. And yes, obviously Neymar is a better player than Clinton G, but he's, you know, he's still good player. He's still an international. He's still fast. He's still, you know, a campus isn't, isn't an idiot. You know, they're, they are trying. And uh, I disagree um, about a campus. <laughs> okay fair enough this weekend i was on some fairly heavy painkillers for most of it i thought it was a cracking fun and maybe it's because i'm not that bothered about people saying legal shit and the quality isn't there i don't particularly care about that 
debate or having those arguments. I just, all of the matches I watched were brilliant fun. Obviously, starting the weekend with Suleiman Kamara getting an injury time equaliser away at Monaco was brilliant from my point of view, but everything just kind of was chaotically fun kind of over the, the, the Sunday matches as well. Um, I, 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 kind of, I, I don't have this, I don't see this as depressing. I don't know. I think it's cool that Nantes are in fourth and only on goal difference. You know, they're, they're going to drop off. Probably, I really don't. I, but, if they were, if they were um, fourth free scoring, they've scored... Yeah, but a couple of a couple of seasons four, ago, in five Angers, goals, and the goal that the goal they scored against Mess was the first goal they've scored all season that wasn't an amazing individual exploit, and it was the first one that actually involved a little bit of teamwork, and it still relied on the Mess keeper dropping the ball and no defender following up. <laughs> okay, fair, 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 fair enough. In Angers' promotion season, they were like top six for a lot of the first half because they were defending well. Yes, those games possibly weren't the most interesting, but they were doing what they had to do. Their defence was brilliant and they did really well. What, they finished eighth in that season? That's, you know... You can't all be Barcelona, you know, so I think there's room for different kinds of, of clubs to to do their thing and the fact that some of the oh, big guys are being like... bad at the moment is it's fine this is how this is in a sense what makes it interesting i know psg are gonna whatever i and but uh you know the other people behind them it would be interesting if it was somebody new i mean we, we've been talking about saint etienne's new attacking verve they look been terrible um and the 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 early game on sunday really didn't didn't get anything together so i don't mind new and entertaining um i do want to see a bit of quality nice marseille was entertaining but no quality nantes is absolutely no not entertaining whatsoever yeah but there's quality there they are doing they've won four on the spin they're unbeaten in five at well, least see, i mean they've, they've had a start that's even easier than man united start has been in in the premier league we'll see when they when they face anyone half decent because they really think, haven't yet they've had a spectacular so we've got we, we've got like season. nice marseille which was entertaining but low quality not which aren't entertaining but have you know, it's there's, you're going to be very like. lucky to see something where you've got two teams playing at the, the top of their game. It's a really fabulous match and there's boatloads of quality and the expected goals is bang on and all that. That's the Champions League. I mean, that's, no, no, no if, individual league is going to gonna manage that outside the really big derby matches. Sure. No, but this is like people have and they often criticised League A for all this kind of thing for the last few years, and I've never agreed with it. Mm-hmm. This weekend was the first time <laughs> I just watched it and thought, Jesus, there's yeah. a lot of dross here. I think, I think the way the way I would sort of sum it up is uh, to, to draw a line is that you've you've got everyone likes something different from their football. If you like everyone, everyone's you say to somebody, what, what do you want from your football? I've listened to uh, today alone. I've listened to nine different podcasts, uh, which has to be said all focus heavily on, on Premier League it has to be said but they I've listened to all of them and they're all waxing lyrical about how incredible uh, Pep Guardiola's Manchester City performance was at Chelsea I found it so boring um, and maybe maybe uh, people listening who know me know that I'm not a big fan of Mr Guardiola or indeed his snazzy suits as we now have to mention um, but I just find it so dull and people have said to me well 
you know, you support a team that that went invincible and, and won a title playing the same sort of possession football. Uh, no, I didn't. I support a team that, yes, we had a lot of possession back in those days, but there was speed, there was verve, there was Robert Pires, there was Thierry Henry, there was a real direction with the possession. French and people. Basically. absolutely which is always a bonus but you know that was what th- that invincibles arsenal side was like whereas i would argue that the possession base dross that guardiola serves up i just find incredibly boring so i suppose bringing it back to league i it just depends on what you like and what sort of football you prefer and if you like defensive masterclasses then maybe uh, watching non is is up your street or well I just have to make because obviously I, I am a bit of a stats geek and I noticed one stat from Nice Marseille which made me chuckle quite a lot. In all of that chaos, in all of that own goal, red card, six goals, bad refereeing, utter chaos, no offsides. <laughs> it says it, it, only you could notice stats. that. <laughs> but surely, I mean, possibly that means that all of the defences were just consistently doing a terrible job but it just feels like a deep irony that with everything else being so chaotic somehow all of the strikers managed to stay on side it's worth a, mentioning and as i would say as a ren fan give me the dross that nantes can marseille are serving <laughs> up right now i would take it at the drop of a we'll, hat we'll pass that on um and by the way if you too want to join the lucas Ocampos fan club uh, at jeremy smith 98 is where you can get your memberships in now uh, i'm reliably informed it comes with a voodoo doll and a set of darts so uh there you go for that one um we should very, very briefly mention the fact that both of these sides were in European action in the week. Uh, Marseille, <laughs> predictably, losing to Salzburg. Uh, Debo with the goal in that game. And uh, Nice, rather more impressively, winning 3-0 at home to Vitesse. If you haven't yet seen it, do look up Alan St. Maximin's goal in that, uh, in that game. Absolutely fantastic solo effort one end of the pitch to the other um, and he's got lovely hair so that's that but don't, um, but don't look don't look up the the solo run and finish from Sunday night because that was not no that that wasn't wasn't quite so good was it no <laughs> I agree uh, but that was the uh, the week that was in Liga so um, we're going to transition now into this week's Grand Debat which is uh, kind of similar to the is Liga not very good topic and it focuses on the international side France uh, as we record this, obviously, we're going into an international break or interlull, as I like to know it as, uh, where France face Bulgaria away from home and then Belarus at home uh, next Tuesday. Saturday is the Bulgaria game, of course. Um, and we wanted to have a quick chat about international football and, and how we, we sort of feel about it. And, and maybe the fact that we're, we're not all convinced that, that France will even qualify, which we'll come on to. And indeed, the interest we have in it. Um, I will kind of start us off briefly by saying that I, uh, despite being an Englishman, um, sort of born and bred, I have never uh, been so uh, (laughs) turned off by international football in all my years of of supporting football as a game. Um, I lost interest in, in following England. I would argue Euro 96, although I do vaguely remember in my student days jumping around at Euro 2000 as well. But, um, I have no interest in the English football side. I have I have no passion or loyalty towards them at all. I do, however, you'll be surprised to know, have quite a loyalty to the French national side. Um, and a very brief story to tell you. I remember uh, as a youngster in 1998, which would have made me, what was I born in, 83? So that would have been 13, 14. Uh, I remember watching France 98 
and uh, my granddad laughed at me because I insisted that I bought the entire French home strip, which I actually bought in France on a school study visit. Remember those? Um, I was also trying to learn the words to the Marseillaise, uh, <laughs> failing badly, I might add. And I got so much stick from my schoolmates because I sat there and watched uh, Petit and Vieira destroy Brazil in the final. Um, and uh, I bought that. Do you remember the famous slogan where it said Arsenal win the World Cup on the front of the English papers? I think it had a picture of Vieira and Petit on the front. And I've still got that paper downstairs in my collection of scrapbook to this day. And I've always sort of had a little bit of an eye for France ever since. But even now, I find it very hard to get interested in international football. Um, Rich and Jez, um, start with you, Rich, because I know Jez has got some very, um, very sort of forthright views on this. Where do you stand on it, Rich? Do you, do you, do you even find yourself watching the French games, or do you find it sort of on in the background while you do the dusting type of situation? <laughs> um, I, I do still watch them. Um, I think fans and players alike are suffering. I think still from a Euro two thousand sixteen hangover. Um, you know, I don't think many, once France got to the final, I don't think there were many that thought, you know, they weren't going to win this, especially when Ronaldo went off. But of course, to, to have lost it and lost it in the manner they did with such a late, a late, late goal, um, I, I still think they're suffering from that. I think they're suffering from that. There's, there's a, there is, there's a changing of the guard, I think, with a lot of these players but it's quite a reluctance. There's a bit of reluctance to it in so much as it's not a wholesale, which I feel was, was what was needed after Euro 2016. There's not a wholesale changing of the guard. It's, it's, you know, Deschamps and, 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 you know, all his, his other coaches alongside him are really being forced and feels like they're doing this so almost unwillingly to let go of some of these players that really, really should have been, um, you know, should have been let go um, immediately post you know, last summer. So for me, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm seeing with this France squad. That's why I think we've seen such a a disjointed qualification campaign so far. Um, you know, there's still, as with so many of these French players, um, and it seems a bit probably because we see it more. You know, we see French football day in day out, but. There's still that undercurrent that arrogance in in the younger players is playing you know is playing an issue. There's no reason why Levin Kazawa should not be one of the world's best left backs. Um, you know he got that move to PSG after playing so well for Monaco, and I don't think he as a player has kicked on as he should have done. You know he he's just the first example I've, I've picked. There are there are probably many others across that squad, but. There, there should have been, and I think this is this is the, they're, they're sort of paying the price. I think now there should have been a right Euro 2016 has happened. We lost it in a really horrible manner. Lying under it, Deschamps. This is this is the team I want to now go forward. My aim is World Cup in 2018, European Championships 2020, you know, and beyond. These are the players I want to do it, and instead we've sort of brought in some new players. You know, Dembele's come in and Bappe's come in. They look really fresh, really positive, really exciting. But similarly, we're facing then, you know, one injury to the, the you know, senior defender and we're calling back Adil Rami, for God's sake, you know. And there there's, really is that problem, you know. And I look at that team and I think, 
it's got Christopher Fiale as a as a fullback. We're we're coming into we're we're considerably less than a year away from a World Cup, and we've got the likes of Adil Rami and Christophe Jallet still in that squad. Jallet, you could argue, is in there because there's a real real problem at right back. But for me, that that that's that's a that's a fault that does lie, I think, a bit at Deschamps' door. You know, I'm a big Deschamps fan, but he should have implemented far wider reach and far more, you know, bigger a much bigger um, overhaul of his squad, I think, once that tournament had finished. And and he didn't. And I think that's what then they're paying the price for now. Yeah, I, th- I think that's um, it's very well well summed up and certainly covers a few of my thoughts on things as well, particularly on Kazawa. Jez, you want to go a bit further, though. You have your doubts over whether France will even qualify from this particular section. Um, what makes you sort of think that way, feel that way? What, what is it that's getting your go at the moment? I mean, it's, it's only really sort of just a follow-on from everything that, that Rich said. I First of all, I've, like, going back to sort of how you introduced it, I kind of my first memories of football, aging myself a little bit, are during the, the 1986 World Cup, watching um, a bit of showing off about my family. My my granddad got the Legion d'honneur and loads of us left to do early to go and watch France-Italy in the second round of the World Cup. And I sat there watching it while my cousin taught me dirty songs in French. And I've always loved the French national team since then, for better, for worse, obviously with um, some great peaks and pretty poor troughs. But um, probably also the fact that, you know, just for for the sake of being different and difficult, being in England, it's made me feel even stronger towards them. I've got a dual nationality, so, you know, I do feel French and that the national team arguably means more to me than, um, well, certainly means more to me than most, I think. Um, I just, I worry just because of everything that Rich said. I think I've also always defended Deschamps. I do think, you know, he's certainly not the only one, obviously, but I think the whole nature of of international competition is very difficult in that, obviously, you don't get too much time with, the, with your players, but more than that, you go straight from, unless you're sort of hosting a tournament, you go straight from a major tournament into qualifying for the next. And um, there's very little time. Usually, if you do get friendlies, it's usually sort of in a, you know, two-match international break where one's a qualifier one's a friendly there's very little time to truly experiment and bed in new players and I think it's been tough for Deschamps in the sense that a lot of these new up-and-coming players as brilliant as they are they are young up-and-coming players they're perhaps more inconsistent um, he's had injuries to deal with there's been you know, Dembele and Mbappe playing silly buggers in the summer getting their transfers Lamar had an absolute worldie against Netherlands and since then has been injured and, and lost his form. Um, Koscielny injured now. Um, huge issues in the fullback positions. The fact that Jalet is, um, you know, the backup in... The fact that he's a right-back, he's playing left-back for his club, but is backup right-back for the international team is just scary. Um I don't, in terms of that arrogance, I actually think it's less of a problem now than it has been for quite a while. But certainly in the case of one or two players, 
Kazawa and I still would say Pogba, there are still issues there, I think. I just, this is for a lot of reasons, but for the first time ever for me, Deschamps is one of the reasons I'm just very worried about these two matches. First, firstly, away to Bulgaria. Bulgaria have won all their home matches in this qualifying campaign so far. And like it or not, even though it's a completely different generation, there's been so much about it. I think Lecky replayed the whole match the other day. There is the spectre of the 1993 match against Bulgaria where France got knocked out of the World Cup with the very last kick of the qualifying tournament. Um, and Belarus are a bit of a bogey team. France always struggled to beat them, have lost to them at home even. So they're not the two most ideal um, opponents. They've got Sweden right on their backs. And I think more than anything else, I hope that the Netherlands win their next match so that they've still got something to play for in their last match. Because if not, um, Sweden visiting the Netherlands in their last match, if the Netherlands aren't interested, then I think that could be a problem for France. I'm not, I can't. I find it very hard to see France getting two wins from these two matches, which is a worrying thing to say. And Deschamps, you know, certain English correspondents who've like had some kind of campaign, I'm not sure why, about, you know, it's how did Deschamps not win Euros last year? I think that was ridiculous. I'm still not sure. I still don't think they're the best team in the world. Far from it. Um, I think there's, issue, there's issues in defence and midfield um, and the strikers aren't yet complete international strikers. So there's lots of reasons why I feel for Deschamps, but even with the, def- the injuries and suspensions or whatever, how is Rami back in that squad? Absolutely ridiculous. Mondonda, yeah, he made nine saves the other day, but he also flapped at corners and arguably should have done better with one of Nice's goals. I don't think I know second third goalkeepers don't matter that much but I'm not sure it's a positive sign to have him back in the team in the squad um there's just Sissoko to be fair to him has had a very good start to the season um Matuidi as well but you know we we've talked for so many years about all these great french players coming through bakayoko's had a good start for chelsea Tolisso's done all right in a struggling bayern team there's you know it, it it i don't think some of his squad choices even though they are only squad choices are sending out good signals payet what the hell is payet doing back in that team it's not like he's been playing well for a marseille team that like i said i'm not that convinced about anyway um, there's, Martial has been in the last squad everyone was saying why Martial over Coman I think that was a bit of a false debate because Coman's a right winger I don't think they're necessarily you know I don't think it was one or the other but I do see it as Martial or Payet and I think it's absolutely ridiculous that he went for Payet over Martial yeah Martial had a disappointed Euro disappointing Euro but he had a different disappointing couple of seasons this season he's he's back to top form why not pick form players why not pick players who who seem interested Payet hasn't seemed interested in anything since he left West Ham um and it's just some of these decisions, along with everything else, that, that does worry me a bit, more than it ever has done for, for quite a while, certainly since the Ukraine playoff. 
I think the, 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 the final, I think, issue on on the squad as a whole is we're still, us as fans of, of, of the, you know, the team, of, of Deschamps, and Deschamps himself, are still, after all this time, having to field questions on Benzema. The fact that this cloud of this player is, is hanging above this squad, at every squad announcement Deschamps makes, every time France don't perform particularly well in attack, it's, oh, well, you know, things would have been different had Benzema played. They wouldn't be. To be you fair, know, I'm not actually sure he was mentioned in the, in the last press conference, but I'm not sure that's the Deschamps time. credit because I think there was a lot about why, isn't Martial and, why aren't Martial and Fekir in the... In the <laughs> How Fekir is not in there is beyond me. Yeah. I think he's been absolutely brilliant this season. I cannot, for the life of me, understand why he's he's not in that squad. Just, I mean, what when you when you see a player like Sissoko, as you rightly say, Jess, yeah, he has been decent this season. Nothing more, in my opinion. But how a guy like that gets in this squad, and as you said, Rami as well. I mean, you know, maybe well, you've, maybe... you've got Kurt Zuma, who's had a you know. We, we, we've been fans of Kurt Zinger ever since his Saint-Etienne days, but mm. he's made that you know, great loan move to Stoke and has had a brilliant start to the season with them. Mm. You know, why not reward him? He's, yeah. he's cover, for if anything else, he's also cover at right back. Yeah. And still Laporte La as well. He still yeah. could play for Spain. Well, I mean, they're still playing a, a, a dicey game with him because I still think he could technically, he's played, but it was only a friendly, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Which it's just just bizarre some of the selections, and I can see why, um, you know, so many people don't sort of have faith in in Deschamps. Um, maybe ask Lana what she thinks. If actually don't do that for God's sake, but um, yeah. Well, well, it, I think well, just just one thing, a one on Deschamps. One f- interesting thing will be is what happens post World Cup. His contract, I think, expire. I don't think he signed a contract extension yet. Hmm. His current contract expires after this World Cup. Um, you know, if they struggle to qualify worst case scenario if they don't qualify I, I, I don't see him being offered that extension similarly you know if they if they qualify and don't get out of the group I don't see him being well of course then it's probably too late then but um, my fear is and I've countless people I've asked this question I genuinely don't know if he was to go after 2018 who would you appoint hmm. Yeah, uh, Gorbanek is a great manager, but I, you know, are we? I don't know. Are we saying bringing straight in or? Well, I is, think, is that I the think international managers are complete guesswork. I don't think anyone's got a clue who's going to be a good international you, do, manager. Or not. The only one I could think of is will you know potentially would Zidane be bored of winning everything with with Madrid? I know Zidane has said before that he'd be interested in coaching the senior team, but you know, would it be too? Would it be deemed too early for him? He's, or, he's, well, he's the only Ars- one I could potentially think of. What about Arsenal? I mean, you know, we, we he signed a two-year deal with, with Arsenal, but is there an argument to say that he could be tempted out of that if things don't go well this season? You know? I, I doubt he'd want it. I'd have thought this is mm. his last job. I, I would agree, but I wonder if the offer was actually on the table, would he be able to turn it down? Um, time will tell. Time will tell, of course. But Hopefully I think it's... Corinne Diak will yeah. do very well with it. That was that a nice my, my suggestion earlier. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we saw obviously the Euros in the summer didn't go well. Obviously, France didn't get to the final and lose it in um, gutting circumstances. It was worse than that, um, and obviously that failure was more 
tactical shortcomings from the manager rather than uh, maybe the selection um, issues. So what we've seen there is obviously Etrafni's uh, gone, Corinne Diacra's come in, and that's kind of enlivened things a bit before obviously the, the World Cup in 2019, and we've got to hope that that moves forward. But that was, in a sense, a, a much easier decision that it was so clear that it was a tactical screw-up, um, that you had someone who wasn't experienced enough and aware enough to get the best out of a, a wonderful set of players. With you know, Deschamps, it's a much more kind of difficult call. You can kind of understand him um, sticking to some of the, uh, the familiar faces. I mean, uh, Sissoko was on... Um, the French TV over the weekend, um, the big show, kind of football club. And obviously it's not, in a sense, it sounds weird to say, it, it's not his fault he's been picked. You know, his reaction is, I will play when I'm called and I will do my best. And, you know, thank you for having faith in me. But, you know, he see all they can do is show up. Um, so in that sense, it is kind of the managerial decision has to be in a sense to let go of some of the security blankets maybe that uh, Sissoko and Jale and Rami constitute and take a chance but obviously then you know if you take a chance and it goes wrong That's you're going to get absolutely hammered I mean they're going to play so they're away at Bulgaria who've won all their home games they're then playing Belarus who yes bogey team but they're bottom of the group Luxembourg have taken four points off Belarus Belarus are terrible so that might, in fact, make it more difficult for France, thinking they're a bogey team. Also, we're expected to hammer them. You know, it's it's psychology and man management and all sorts of stuff all over the shop. Basically. But then Mess beat Angers, so... Yeah, and I, <laughs> soon, <laughs> I'd in, forgotten yeah. this was the last two... Yeah. Uh, two yeah. qualifiers. Mind Thank you, God. Not, last time I thought the Holland game was a friendly, and I can't remember why. So, I did as well. Weirdly, so yeah. weren't the only one. I think yeah. Holland did so, as well. So <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like we set that up, didn't it? We, we genuinely didn't. <laughs> what we will set up though, and and that was that was good stuff. Uh, good, Can I just um, very very quickly talking of Diak? Hmm. Um, if anyone gets the chance, you have to see France's first and third goals in their last match, possibly against Spain, mm-hmm. for the sort of ring and rose, ring a ring of roses corner routine, which is fantastic. And you know, another thing to to Diak's credit that she's trying, you know, innovative things on the on the training field. And she's also bringing in uh, newer players. She's trying out. Um, trying out new squad members obviously there's some people have retired some people need replacing but i mean the chili game she bought you know both the fullbacks the front line um there's been some interesting changes there so i'm feeling pretty positive that she's going to do more with a great pool of talent uh than um than, than previous working up to uh the world cup 2019 Yes, and uh, and the women. We wanted to briefly touch on the women's game as well um, before we wrap up with a couple of brief questions, Phil. Uh, the women's Champions League mm-hmm. um, begins this week. What would you like to uh, fill us in on? Well, we've got um, two French teams in uh, this, the uh, ninth, I think, edition of the the women's Champions League after previous UEFA Cup, and it's Lyon 
of course, who have won it back to back the past two two times. But it's not PSG as the second team. It's actually Montpellier who came runners up in uh, Divan last season. They haven't been in uh, the Champions League since the first edition, way back in 2009-10. So this is going to be uh, kind of a, a, an interesting return to uh, the top table for them. So Lyon are going to be uh, away at Medikonin in Poland, the, the champions and cup winners. And Montpellier will be hosting Zvezda 2005, who are the Russian runners-up from last season. Uh, so both of those matches are going to be played on Wednesday. Uh, Montpellier will be uh, playing at Marson, uh, at the, the main stadium, uh, because it's got TV stands, apart from anything else, I think. So it's going to be interesting to see how, obviously, those pan out. Now... I'm doing kind of a, a preview that's going to go up tomorrow of the two games. Um, Lyon have actually met Medic Conin before, uh, two years ago, um, beat them 9-0 on aggregate. Wendy Renard is the Lyon captain and a wonderful captain and a very decent human being and did a very good job of describing uh, Medic Conin as difficult to break down um, in her <laughs> sort of pre-match uh, sort of pre-match press as she was describing a match in which Leon won 6-0 in Poland so this looks like I say kind of I don't want to tempt fate but it looks like another kind of silly nil scoreline for Leon to go through um, Montpellier match might be slightly more interesting you'd hope that they'd be able to to get past um, get past Vesda but uh, they did have a bit of a setback at the weekend because OL and Montpellier were kind of at both top of the table with three wins out of three and Lyon came to Montpellier. I was hoping it was going to be kind of a tight top of the table encounter and Lyon won 5-0. They do that occasionally. So um, I think the Montpellier might they just have to kind of pull themselves together after that and... Um, you know, hopefully we'll get a, a good result, hopefully get a clean sheet as well to take away to uh, to Russia in the away leg, which is next Wednesday. Um, and one thing I'm just going to be going into in that preview is kind of how, uh, you know, OL have got a lot of money, obviously a lot of support, and Montpellier have to be a bit more canny in their, their squad and their recruitment. Um, but it really worked out last season, as I say, coming runners-up, qualifying for the Champions League for the first time since uh, 2009-10. So we're looking forward to uh, to seeing, uh, seeing them back on the European stage, and hopefully they're going to go through. And um, maybe there'll be another all-France matchup. There's been four in the past eight seasons, all French matchups, including, of course, the OL-PSG final last year, which OL won on penalties. So um, the Women's Champions League is back, and uh, that will be an interesting one to follow as well. Good stuff. So look out for those previews uh, coming from Phil later this week. Have a little look. And, uh, yeah, we will keep you up to speed with what goes on with those games in the coming weeks. Thank you very much. Uh, right, we've just just about got enough time for some very quick questions. Um, longer show this evening, but, hey, there's no league on the next week, so you can have us in your ear for a bit longer instead. Um, so what have we got there? Uh, what have we got, Phil, from our, our lovely listeners this week? Well, we've got, I think we're just going to have one question, which was something that was sent in just after last week's show, which was from Benjamin Bradshaw, BK Bradge on Twitter, which was, 
what made you follow the teams you all follow? Yes, I like it. I like it. Um, Rich, why don't you start us off? What made you go for Ren? Um, it really stems back from um, back in about 98 um, when I was uh, a wee bit younger. We used to go on holiday to the, uh, the Brittany area, actually San Malo, so um, an hour or so north of Ren. Um, and that was that was post World Cup '98, where I'd sort of you know taken an interest in in France and see how they played. So continuous years of holidaying in that particular area, I slowly started to you know pick up newspapers, check football scores, and eventually cottoned on that ran with this this local team. And sort of every time we we're over there and then back here, I'd keep checking of the scores, and that eventually grew and grew and grew and grew. And um, you know they they signed. You know, one of my sort of cult heroes in, in Kim Kallstrom. Um and, and it was really his signing, his joining, you know, with a team with the likes of um, Fry of Monterubio, um back in the sort of early 2000s that, um, yeah, sort of from, from just following their results on, you know, teletext and CFAX as it was almost back then, seems it seems like, um, to supporting them. So it really was just... Uh, you know, a holiday romance that's bloomed, bloomed into a, a sort of love and, and, and pain all in one relationship, really. <laughs> Sounds familiar. OC facts, how I miss you. Uh, Jess, what about yourself? Um, what on earth made you plump for Mets, other than the kit, of course? <laughs> um, they're kind of my home team in France. Mets is where my mum was born and caught up. So um, it was, I guess, uh, well, I guess a no-brainer in the sense that in the same way that I support Brighton because that's where I was born and brought up here. That's sort of my home team there. Um, you know, the, the granddad that I mentioned earlier getting his Legion d'honneur in 1986, two years later, sadly he passed away and, and I sort of went and stayed for two, three weeks in France and um, some very nice friends of my grandparents um, were kind of trying to find things for my sister and me to do to keep us distracted and one of them thank god was a director of Mets and got us tickets for the um, uh, Coupe de France semi-final where we beat RAS 4-0 and it's still by far the best atmosphere I've ever experienced in any match um, sort of almost 30 years later um, and yeah obviously 1998 should have been a high we just missed out on a on the championship on, on goal difference um, and it's been pretty much all downhill ever since but they're my team I have no choice <laughs> yeah they, they find you not the other way around yeah. um, and what about yourself Phil Montpellier why why Montpellier well I live here um, I moved <laughs> I, no, I, good I reason moved, as any I moved here in um, 2008 and actually my first match in Mosson was I just actually dug the ticket out of out of the drawer where I keep my tickets was Halloween 2008 it was Spooky. local derby 1-1 against Nîmes when they were both in Ligue 2 um, and some of the names on this team sheet, I'm just looking at the, the LFP list here. Obviously, Yang Mbiwa was there, Gary Bockley of the, uh, the title-winning side, uh, Jamal Saihi, who 
was around uh, for many years an absolute stalwart of the club before moving on to Angers and then on from that. And Carrie Makefana, the man who scored the goal for all of history that uh, gave them the chance to, to win that last game, he, was the, um, he got the assist for Gregory Lacombe to score the equaliser having for Montpellier having gone behind to Nîmes um, at home and I remember we were in the uh, in the corner stand Mediterranean I think um, with uh, with one of my friends uh, had organized for us all to go there I'd never been up that high in my life at any form of sporting event I was terrified but it was great and just being here and getting involved in following following the team was kind of uh, connected with me um, starting to get involved with French Football Weekly because I kind of got in touch with Gib to just say, do you, need, do you want a proofreader? And uh, everything um, kind of went on from there. So, yes, they're my home club now, now that I am well established in Montpellier. I've been here nine years now and uh, I'm hoping to get to the game tomorrow uh, when Montpellier play Svesda, which will be at Mosson. If I can persuade some people at work to come with me as well, that would be cool. So yes, it's been a, it's been a, a great ride watching them. So um, I wouldn't have missed it for the world. Good stuff, good stuff. I like it. Uh, and I have probably the the crappiest story of the lot. So I'll finish up. Um, why Lorient? Um, I've asked myself that question many times, especially last season. Um, it simply comes, it stems from my Arsenal roots, to be honest with you. Um, I, I remember when Arsenal signed Lorient Koscielny from Lorient in 2010. And that was where the, the name Lorient first kind of came to my interest. Um, I wanted to know a little bit more about who we were getting and dug out some articles, etc. And then the very next season, uh, one Jeremy Aliadier, which uh, Rich very kindly pointed out. All good stories begin with Jeremy Aliadier. Um, he joined Lorient, of course, in the summer of 2011. And I thought, oh, this would be interesting. Uh, we bought somebody from there. And now we've sold somebody there. So I'm going to gonna follow them and, and just sort of see what kind of a club they are then. Of course, you got the the interest with the or the, sort of the English connection to Lorient. I think that's probably a fair way of putting it in terms of the boardroom and how they're organised. Um, and I just found the story quite fascinating ever since then. They've got a really cool little stadium, uh, Le Mousson. And, it, and it's almost oh, sorry. And it's kind of... Um, it's a shame that that plastic pitch went because it was one of those kind of unique things about them uh, up until that was relayed. And of course, then they got relegated. So that worked out well, didn't it? But no, I've, I've always had a, a soft spot for them ever since those days and continue to. Um, and I once got retweeted by Loic Ferry, um, which I'm going to keep as a, a claim to fame. Um, I don't know if it is a claim to fame, but I'm keeping it anyway. So screw everyone. But uh, yes, it's, um, it's, it's a club I keep an eye out for. I will confess, I haven't seen as much of them this season as I did when they were in Liga because Friday nights uh, are now a bit of a pain for me with work. But um, I do try and catch their Liga games when I can. And uh, so far, so good. It looks like the return to Liga is on the cards if all goes according to plan. So, yes, there you go. Um, for my sins. So uh, there we go. We, we had a couple of other questions which we're not going to get time to get to this week, but uh, thanks for, for those that were sent in. Uh, I think uh, Eric, Bobby, Colin and uh, Sir Chips Keswick. I don't think it is actually that Sir Chips Keswick, but uh, yeah. thank you to you all for sending in your questions. Um, we will, of course, return next week um, after France have, have played their games. Uh, Jez will well, either be very... 
the second game is on Tuesday, so we of course we, it is. We yes, might need to push this a day, but we'll we we'll have a, a conference about that. We'll be back on, yeah, back at some point next week where either Jazz will be very smug or looking very silly, one of the two. Um, but uh, no, we will, of course, cover what happens with the two games in France. Well, if, I, if I predict them to struggle, I'm really hoping I look silly. Yes, absolutely, yeah, we all <laughs> hope you look silly. Is this like my karmic betting thing where I bet on matches to be nil-nil on the grounds that I never win bets, so it's going to ensure goals? That's a good way. Reverse psychology, I like it. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Uh, well, whatever happens, whether it be nil-nil or seven-nil in each each game, we will of course be back to cover those games. Um, you uh, obviously can keep keep in touch with us and uh, all the good things that we do. Hopefully, good things uh, at French FT Weekly on Twitter is your best first port of call. Uh, and of course, you can grab our podcast. I think SoundCloud is is the main biggie to mm-hmm. find us on, as well as the website. So uh, do get us in your ears as usual. Uh, but that is it for this week's show. My thanks to Phil, to Jez, and to Rich. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And in closing, I shall just give one little shout out to one Jonathan Johnson who uh, got back to me this week as I tweeted him uh, like a 12-year-old boy and said I really appreciated appreciated him following me. Uh, And he said he really enjoys the work I'm doing with the guys. So thank you, John. It's appreciated. Uh, Now I'm going to remove my tongue from places it shouldn't be and end the show. So thank you all very much for listening and we'll speak to you next week.